The Chris Cast is recorded live in front of no audience. Welcome, welcome all. Here we are in the Chris Cast once again. Joining me by anchor is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello. Well, I've got a ton of news to report, and unfortunately, we do have a lot of passings that we have to talk about this week. So let's jump right into it. First up, this is from comicbook.com. Rick Flair launches Woo Wings in six U.S. cities. This is a new restaurant that the nature boy Rick Flair has started. The six cities are Nashville, Los Angeles, San Antonio, Huntsville, Jacksonville, and Tuscaloosa. Now, what city is missing from the Nature Boys restaurant? You're you're out. You're not. You're quiet. I can't hear you. Okay, I was trying to get my headset to connect to my phone. I just now got it done. So you're talking about Ric Flair. Talking about a restaurant, that's all I caught. I'm sorry. Yeah, there, there are six cities that will get the Rick, Rick Flair's Woo Wayne's restaurants. Those six cities are Nashville, Los Angeles, San Antonio, Huntsville, Jacksonville, and Tuscaloosa. What Why not city? Charlotte? Exactly. Not Charlotte, his hometown. I don't understand. Like, I... I I can understand Nashville. I can understand Los Angeles. I can even understand San Antonio and Huntsville. But Tuscaloosa over Charlotte? Really? I don't get it. So, anyways. Get his ass out of here. Pack him up and get him out of here. Well, you know, he did appear at a, some kind of thing for Trump at one point, and He just had his last match over the weekend. I didn't really care to even attempt to order it. So that's all I really wanted to say on that one was he's got a new restaurant coming out for those who want to see it or to go to it. But I have some disgusting food news this week, which is perfect for Paul as he's eating, as we're recording as always. Well, I have some food news too, so go ahead. Okay, well, we'll we'll get through the disgusting first because I got some really good stuff too, but this is from WYMT.com. Tailgating Candy. Rock's debuting hot dog and hamburger flavored candy corn. Ooh. Nothing says candy corn like hot dog or hamburger flavor. Could you imagine? It's probably made with hot dog water. Uh, it don't matter what it's made by. I'm not going to read the article. Anybody who wants to learn more about it, they're free to look it up. It is an actual thing. I will not be buying it. I mean, Plain I, look, I love candy corn. I will probably try it for pure curiosity. Nope, not me. I don't care for candy corn. And when you take a candy and turn it into hot dog and hamburger flavor... I'm out. Just completely out. Well, it's like Brock's come out. Remember last year they come out with Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, and I didn't eat that either. I had no desire. And speaking of things I have no desire for, I love mustard. Let me let me just preface this. I love mustard. Absolutely. Are you just a purist, like the regular yellow mustard, or do you like the fancy mustard? I can do some of the fancies, but I just typically get yellow mustard. 
it's good on just about any sandwich. And like True. when I make my sandwiches for work, I get different flavor tofurkey. It's either oven roasted flavor, hickory smoked flavor, or ham flavor. Yeah. Add pickles, cheese, spinach, mayonnaise, mustard, and hummus to that. Dang. That is my sandwich every day for work when I go on lunch. And it's tasty, let me tell you. But food and wine here has an article on something that I will not be eating with mustard. French's is giving away free mustard donuts on National Mustard Day. Gross. I can't imagine that they will be sweet donuts, but I can't imagine that I would be eating them regardless. Well, I can imagine it being some kind of a donut. I mean, it could be honey mustard donut, like with a honey mustard dripple across the top of it. I could see that happening. Well, it says... Collaborating with the Brooklyn-based Dough Donuts, Brinches will be releasing a limited run of mustard-infused donuts on August 6th while supplies last. The unexpected treats will be given away for free at Doe's six brick-and-mortar locations around New York City or online through Doe's website. And they honestly look like they're... I mean, there's a picture here. They look like they're mustard-topped. But they also look like a jelly donut, so there might be mustard inside as well. Oh, gross. No. Yeah. Like I said, I'm sure it's not a sweet donut, but... And then again, you get the sweet by the the toppings or adding stuff to it, not the actual donut. Like, you think the Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme glazed donut? Take the glaze Hold away, on. it's just a plain donut, but it's not going to be mustard-worthy. Speaking of Krispy Kreme, I did try the cream sickle donut this past week. And how was it? It was actually delicious. It was very good. I was really surprised by it. We had a rep to bring us in by a bunch of donuts. And uh, one of them was, it's, it, it was one of their like cream filled, but it's like the round ones that didn't have a hole in it. And it had this um, frosting on top of it with these, um, like orange sprinkle looking things and i went i wonder what that is so uh, like a guinea pig i'll eat it so i picked it up bit into it and i instantly got that creamsicle frosting in my mouth from inside of it and i was like that's the creamsicle one. Oh my god it's so delicious it's really good i loved it yeah i'm not big on Honestly, I'm not that big on donuts to begin with because to me they're just overpriced for what you get. But I never was big on Krispy Kreme, and there's not one local, so I won't be going to any Krispy Kremes anytime soon. But do I have a Dunkin' Donuts in in uh, We do now. We do now. Okay. But another article from Food and Wine, and something that does not sound good at all. We now live in a world with spicy hot cinnamon toast crunch cereal. Mm -mm. It's limited edition Cinefuego 
toast crunch. And I'm saying, send a hell no. Well, I'm eating. I'm eating cinnamon toast crunch right now, dry, just by like. And we can hear cereal. It. Hey, I've had no dinner. I'm I'm very hungry. So. But, but not. I was never a fan of cinnamon toast crunch, and don't have any desire to have spicy hot cinnamon toast crunch. So. I don't know how I'd feel about that. I'd be like putting me putting hot sauce on my cereal here. I don't know about that. And and since we're on cereal, before I, I send it to you for yours, I've got one for you. You may already have this pulled up. I don't know, but I just saw about it today. This is from penlive.com. I think Special I've already seen it. Just for Paul, Disney's Hocus Pocus 2 inspires new very good Kellogg's breakfast cereal. Yes, I saw that. I saw it today. It's, I'm totally getting a box of it, and I'm not eating it. I'm just using it to get it to collect it. No, the 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 box art is nice. Like I like that box art. As Paul just keeps crunching and crunching, this <laughs> article does say the cereal will be available for a limited time nationwide, starting this month as a suggested price of four twenty nine for a seven point seven ounce box and five twenty nine for a twelve ounce box. I just want to find a small box so I can just keep it. I'll, oh, probably, empty the, I'll probably eat the cereal all of it and just keep the box. Disney Plus went way up in price from when I subscribed. Because granted, I subscribed in the early run when they did the three-year deal. And I paid 150 for three years. This article says Disney Plus streaming service is $7.99 a month or $79.99 a year. So I basically got a year free with my subscription. That's just, that's ridiculous how high it's gotten already. And we will be discussing a certain streaming service later on on the show because there's a lot of bad news that came out the last two days that I'm not happy about that we got to talk about. But that'll be later on in the entertainment portion. You said you had some food related. So let's have you talk of food related. You're 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 off. You're not talking. One of them is the Hocus Pocus cereal. So, um, let me get into my photos right quick, and I took screenshots of them. Let me hold on. Give us one second. I know, I I've got several more. Some are following through with what I had talked about the other week, and some of them are just real quick mentions that I'll have. As Paul is still looking, I will do one of the the quick mentions. I got it. Oh, um, did you see the announcement from Taco Bell? Apparently not, unless I, oh, you're talking about it being back. They're bringing back the Mexican pizza, and it's going to be permanent menu item this time, starting this month. Yeah, I did see that. I just didn't. I didn't pull up the article. Well, see, I was wanting to try it this past time, and. Um, two locations that I went to, they both said, oh, we're sold out. I'm like, you it was barely even back like two days and they already sold out. So, I want to try it. Well, 
like I said, I got one. I wasn't ever really thrilled with it, but I don't know what all was missing from mine because they didn't have the mild taco sauce at that location. They didn't have tomatoes on the top like the picture shows. So I I don't know what it's really supposed to taste like because, like I said, I don't know what all they were missing on there. Oh. Crunch, crunch, crunch. If, if only we had video so people could see you making that face as you're crunching. <laughs> anyways, do you have any others? Um, that's the only two food that I had. And I do have some entertainment. Well, not, not, not quite entertainment, but they are kind of entertainment related. Well, we'll get to those in a little bit. Next one, this one, just a real quick mention to Nutella.com. For all the Nutella lovers out there, there is now a thing on Nutella breakfast across America. These are actual breakfast related Nutella recipes that they have. It's sourdough, sourdough toast with Nutella, breakfast pizza dough with Nutella, fried bread with Nutella. Um, I know I'm not saying this right. Penukaku bread with Nutella, English muffins with Nutella, breakfast tostada with Nutella, bagels with Nutella. And some of these, like, why do you need a recipe for bagels with Nutella? But anyways, sheep herder bread with Nutella, acai bowl with Nutella, Blueberry buttermilk pancakes with Nutella and on and on. I mean, there's like 15 recipes on there or something. So if you're a big Nutella fan, you want to go to Nutella.com and or you can search Nutella breakfast across America and it should give you the link straight to the page with those recipes. Now, do you like Nutella, Chris? I've tried it once and I wasn't real thrilled. Now, I like it with graham crackers. You take and dip your graham cracker in it and eat it. Oh, so delicious. But I don't go out. I don't buy it like I do peanut butter. It, it just, it's just, it's to me, it tastes like chocolate frosting. And so. Moving on, though, we, you know, last week we discussed the discontinuation of Klondike's Choco Taco. Mm-hmm. This week, the takeout.com, these brands are rushing to save the Choco Taco. And I'm trying to see. Portland soft serve offshoot Whizbang was a pandemic casualty. Salt and Straw says it will only carry the taco for a limited time. So there are companies that are going to be doing it. Says the Choco Chocolate fe- features. Would you quit with all that noise over there? The Chocolate Chocolate features a handmade waffle cone as a taco shell, stuffed with cinnamon ancho ice cream, dipped in single origin chocolate, and sprinkled with flaky salt. Reads a description in a statement sent to the takeout. That sounds this good. You, this gives you like where to find gourmet Choco Tacos and all kinds of stuff like that in that article. So there are companies that are trying to save it, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a long-running save. It's going to be a limited-time save. Sounds like a gourmet save, too. Yeah. And next up is from the street.com. 
Pizza Hut goes beyond pizza with new menu items. Ooh, really? Oven-baked pastas. They have four different varieties. Oven-baked chicken Alfredo pasta. Oven-baked Italian meats pasta. Oven-baked cheesy Alfredo pasta, which contains Alfredo sauce, two layers of cheese, and Parmesan. And oven-baked veggie pasta contains tomato sauce, black olives, green peppers, onions, tomatoes, cheese, Parmesan, Parmesan, oregano, seasoning. The best part? These pastas will also include five complimentary original breadsticks, and if you prefer Pizza Hut's cheese sticks, they can be altered for an additional charge. Probably a dollar is what it used to be. I don't know. I just thought they was going to be like introducing Beyond Meat to go on their pizza. I'm not excited about this. Well, but by the same token, this gives you a different thing to order at Pizza Hut and more yeah, variety. Now they're becoming, well, now they're trying to become an Italian restaurant. And that's, well, not, that's not hitting it with me. Now that we're getting a Pizza Hut that's not a walk-in, carry-out type Pizza Hut, because we had a nice Pizza Hut that was, I mean, it was the Hut-style building. Mm-hmm. When they got the new Walmart shopping center, Pizza Hut moved over there, and it became like three tables in there to sit down and eat, and they didn't freshly brew tea, nothing like that. So, if you got a drink, you either got a soda or you had to buy a bottled drink. And I was like, why Why are you going to have dining in and not have silverware? Because all they had was plasticware. No freshly brewed tea. It's like, I, I never went back after that because it was such a disappointment. There was nothing there that I wanted. The only true Pizza Hut that I know that still has a full-service sit-down restaurant is the one in Newton. And it's like the classic, you know, still has the red plastic cups, still has, you know, the wood interior inside of it. It's like the classic Pizza yeah. Hut. That's the only one I know of. Yeah, those, are the, those are the ones they should have kept. Because they're building a brand new one in Morganton and is it's it going to be a, like a regular size one then, or is it just going to be yeah. one of those to go places? Yeah, it's South Exit One Hundred Five. Where that? Where's that at? Well, I mean, I know where One Hundred Five is at, but which way? It's near Abelie's and Wendy's and all that. We're all oh, those. It's all it's right, right there, in Restaurant Row. Okay. And also in this article about Pizza Hut's new menu items, Hershey's desserts. Hmm. Hershey's lava cake, double slash triple chocolate brownie, giant chocolate chip cookie. Now they're not cheap though. The Hershey's lava cake will cost four ninety five. The Hershey's brownie will cost ten forty five, and the Hershey's cookie will cost nine ninety five. Sadly, these items will only be sold in Australia. Boo. So, but I'm not, I don't see a price for the oven baked pastas. I, so, I don't know what they're going to go for. Again, the, I don't agree with that. They just need to stick with pizza, pizza and breadsticks, leave it at that. Don't be bringing on pasta. I, just, I don't get it. 
those were announced on July 27th, and it says some will be sold domestically in the United States and some globally in Australia. So, like I said, I I think the I mean, there's two vegetarian options in those pastas. Pizza Hut has done pasta before, so it's not anything like <clears throat> I don't remember. Technically new, and I I I definitely try. I think they sound good, except for the the veggie one. I'd have to alter. Like I don't do onions, I don't do peppers, and don't do olives. But throw some mushrooms in there or something, and I'll be happy. I love all that. Like I could, if they have spinach and mushrooms, and then leave out the onion, peppers, and olives, I'd be happy with that. That's more Mediterranean, but it's good. And next up. WTOP.com, there is now a Snickers Shakers Seasoning Blend. McLean, Virginia-based candy giant Mars is partnered with B&G Foods for a Snickers Shakers Seasoning Blend. The Snickers Shakers will roll out nationally later this month. It is described as a blend to, quote, perfectly capture the chocolatey, luscious caramel and peanut flavor profile of a Snickers bar. And it's a it's a shaker like in something you shake on top of food. Yeah, I don't know about that. And it's the picture has pancakes with looks like caramel syrup striped across them, and two banana slices and a bowl of bananas behind them, and then the Snickers shakers has been shaked on it. So it just it basically depends on what you're putting it on, like maybe like vanilla ice cream. Or maybe a white cake with chocolate icing or something. Stuff like that, it would work. Oh, I do want to tell you what I did try this weekend. Well, first, because this next one, it blends in with that one. And then we'll go into what you had to say. This is from totallybomb.com. Twix and Snickers is coloring their candy ghoulish green for Halloween. Ooh, exciting. Ghouls mix M&M's, which will be green, orange, and purple M&M's. Twix ghoulish green cookie. The caramel will be the right color. The chocolate will be the right color. The cookie itself will be a mint green type of color. Cool. And Snickers ghoulish green nougat. Again, the caramel, peanuts, and chocolate are the right color. The minty green nougat in it. Oh, that'll be cool. So, just a little fun thing for Halloween. Something to help promote their sales, because, you know, people have to buy it because it's green. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to confess, I'd I'd be one of those people that has to buy it because it's green. Yeah, I want to at least, you know, in my head, I'm like, is this going to taste normal? You know, of course you got to try it. You know, they say that the the Oreos with the, the colored icing are supposed to taste the same, and they never do. I'm sorry, but they don't. You can taste a difference when they color the icing. I don't know about that. Like when I, I buy the when I buy the Halloween Oreos with the chocolate with the orange filling in them, I can't taste the difference. The the red, the orange, they, they have a different taste. It's either that or it's a different taste from the snack size because I buy – the box of 12 with the, the individual wrappers that have six cookies inside. 
And I yeah. eat those all the time. So I know what my Oreos taste like. And when I get the ones out of that, they're different. Here, like, piggy, 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 piggy. Oh, I love it. It is Milk's favorite cookie, you know. I love me some Oreos too, so I can't I can't be saying nothing. But it's Milk's favorite cookie. How can you not? Yeah, milk can't possibly be wrong. I don't drink milk, so but it's Milk's favorite cookie. Yeah, okay. But what were you gonna say? Um, when you were talking about bananas a minute ago, it reminded me um when I was in Salem a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the girl I went with, she ordered some wa- waffles or something, and it came out with um, it came out with slices of banana across the waffles. And she said, "This is interesting. I've never seen this before." But she tried it, and she said, "It's wonderful. The texture of the waffles and the texture of the bananas work wonderfully together." So this past weekend, on my my Sunday thing with my dad is I make us um blueberry pancakes every Sunday morning and then I make enough blueberry pancakes for him for the rest of the week so he can eat on them for the for breakfast the rest of the week so he'll have something to eat in the mornings well I thought I got these bananas here they were pretty I like a ripe banana I don't like no that green stuff that's on it it's got to be like ripe with the black stuff starting to form on the outside of the peeling that's when I like my bananas they got to be on the verge of being mush and um I thought, well, I'm going to make these blueberry pancakes. I'm going to take um, uh, bananas and cut slices of bananas on top of it. And then I used um, Mrs. Butterworth's syrup. That's my favorite. Now, I drizzled that across the top of them, my blueberry pancakes with the bananas. I highly suggest it. Oh, my God. It was so good. The texture of the banana with the blueberry pancake with the, with the, with the syrup. I loved it. So... I'm going to be definitely putting bananas on my pancakes from now on. I won't. I'm not a banana fan. You don't like bananas? Nope. Never really have. You know they're really, really good for you. They're rich in potassium. I don't care. They don't taste good. You don't I'm not worried food. about food that's healthy. I'm worried about do food you that's healthy. Taste- what about banana pudding? Do you not like banana pudding? Nope. Oh, well, you aren't southern at all, are you? I try not to be. Mm. Do you eat a tomato sandwich? I eat tomatoes on sandwiches. I don't typically eat just tomatoes on bread. Do you ever, have you ever ate one? Like just a tomato sandwich? Not that I know of. I've eaten tomatoes on sandwich. You need to try just a tomato sandwich. It is very good. But anyways, the last food thing I've got. Don't you ignore what I just said. I'll reach to this. I'm ignoring what you said. It's from BoiseStatePublicRadio.org. You could get paid to eat candy as a Canadian company's chief candy officer. Ooh. Turns out you might be able to eat candy for a living and make thousands in the process. Canada's Candy Fun House is hiring a chief candy officer, according to a recent job posting. Do you love all things candy and chocolate? Are you passionate about confectionery treats and exploring unreleased and existing products? If so, this is the perfect position for you, the description reads on LinkedIn. The Ontario-based company said the position pays 100000 Canadian dollars, which translates into $78,167.70 in the U.S. annually. The job can be remote or based in its Canada or New Jersey offices. 
Sign me up. The chief candy officer will serve as head taste tester and try over 3,500 products each month. Besides eating about 113 pieces of candy a day, the chief candy officer will lead the company's Funhouse candy strategy, run candy board meetings, and have a say in which products Candy Funhouse will carry. So, Have you ever seen them do that taste testing like a professional taste tester? Have you ever seen them what they do with it? No. Do you mean to I've seen it like sitcoms and stuff do it? Do you want me to tell you how they do it? What? They have a bucket beside of them. They'll put the piece of food in their mouth and they'll taste it and roll it around. Then they spit it in the bucket. Yeah, that's how they do the wine so they don't get drunk. But I'd be eating mine. I'd be getting fat. Yeah, we'd be diagnosed with diabetes before the end of the day. Well, it also, it says 113 pieces of candy. It doesn't say what size those pieces of candy are. Well, still yet, that's a lot of candy, Chris. I don't and, care if it's like little small peppermints or if it's like little jelly beans, like Jelly Belly jelly beans. That's still a lot of candy. Yeah, but in, in the scheme of things, it's, it's not a lot. Not for me, anyways. All righty. But now on to science news. This, this is from BGR.com. New study says dogs can, quote, see with their noses. What? Whether you think of dogs as man's best friend or expert trackers, one thing is certain. These animals are extraordinary. Dogs have many talents from being a person's everyday companion to helping complete actual jobs. Now, though, a new study suggests that dogs can see with their noses, further expanding one of their most renowned talents. A dog's nose is an an impressive tool set. Whether you're talking about canine officers that track down drugs or bomb squad canines that help sniff out dangerous explosives. The researchers published their study in the Journal of Neuroscience earlier this month. The study revealed that a dog's vision and sense of smell connect in the dog's brain. And it's extra good to see that article because our little dog has diabetes and ended up getting cataracts so he can't see as well as he should like I don't know if he can actually make out any objects anymore but at least he can sniff his way around so go get that dog's cataracts cut off okay here's the thing they said that if you do that it may turn around, and I think it was diabetic glaucoma will set in right after that. And this it's like thousands of dollars to get the, the cataracts removed from the dog, and the closest place is Charlotte. And then the glaucoma, like I said, I believe it was glaucoma that they said, could set in right after that, and there's no fixing that. So the vet's suggestion was the dog can do fine, Without getting fixed, and it just may just be no, just stop be moving no furniture. We're not, and that was one of the things I said. If we ever go anywhere, we're not going to be able to take the dogs to somebody else. They're going to have to come here and take care of them because it's not fair to him to be put into a new situation where he doesn't know what anything is. But he's doing good with it, so he can find his way around. Well, whoever's going to take care of them dogs, see, the small one's mean as hell. 
And then the big one's so skittish, if you look at it crossways, it'll run away from you. She's a sweetheart. Well, I know that, but good luck to them, whoever's taking care of them dogs. No, they do all right with others. Ridlin and Valium, so you can take care of them. No, they do fine with others when others come over and take care of them. But next up is some more science. This is from Live Science on MSN.com. 66-year-old likely cured of HIV after stem cell transplant. I believe this is the oldest. Yeah, it says right here, the patient who wishes to remain anonymous is the oldest person yet to undergo the procedure and in her long-term remission from the disease. So a very, very positive story here. Hopefully another step closer to eradicating HIV permanently because it's been way too long and it needs to be gone. Do you know how they do that stem cell transplant? No. It is horrible. It is a horrible process. They basically, they um, pump you full of stuff to make your body produce stem cells. So then they actually could put this machine up to you and it filters your blood for all the stem cells. And so when it filters all the stem cells out of your blood, they basically go in and kill your bone marrow. After they kill your bone marrow, you are stuck inside this bubble, this house inside the part inside the inside the um, hospital for four weeks. You're living in a bubble, no human contact, nothing like that. And then they, after four weeks of you basically being dead, they actually start putting in stem cells back in you. When they put the stem cells back in you. It's supposed to revive the bone marrow inside your body to start producing blood cells again. So that's how, how that's how they do that. It is so hard on your body. Some people has actually died from it from the stem cell transplant. It's so hard on them. So you got to be extremely healthy to go through that. Uh, I think I'd rather go through that than have to worry about every little thing with HIV. So, um, well, well, now you can live a normal life with just a couple of drugs every month and you can still be undetectable. But you still have to be extra careful, extra cautious. And I think four weeks of suffering would be better than a lifetime of, I mean, for me personally, I would much rather four weeks of suffering, get done with it, be but through. Like, like I said, you have got to be extremely healthy to go out and undergo that. If not, you will die from it. That's how hard it is on you. Thanks for bumming us all out, Paul. Well, I'm just saying that's the truth. I know. That's the I know. reality. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, Paul. See, they just want to do that to my mom for her multiple myeloma when she had that bloodborne cancer. But she was too weak to go through it. The doctors wouldn't put her through it because they said she'd die from it. it, it just by uh, having it done, she would die. So they didn't do it. Yeah. More science that's not health related. Did you see that we broke the record for the shortest day ever on I July? Saw that. Yeah. The Earth did its complete rotation. In 1.59 milliseconds less than 24 hours. 
which is like a blip of an eye, but we still the, the normal person would not know this, but yeah, but they they detected it after the Earth's rotation. It's like, well, wait a minute, it went a little bit faster than normal. But that's that's my science news, and that's just all entertainment. Did you want to do yours first, or do you want me to go into it? Uh, um, let's see here. Well, well, this is. Well, while you're looking it up, I'm gonna just real quickly mention Beyonce, her new album. I don't know if you've seen, but they have already like the the. I don't know how to reference them properly, so I'll just say the handicapped people have issues with some of her lyrics. Then Diane Warren called her out for having 24 writers on one song, and then she's being challenged for plagiarism on this album. I'm like, what else is going to happen with this album? Like, three days, and she's just constantly been bombarded with, oh, look at what's wrong. Look at what's wrong. Look at what's wrong. I saw where somebody was going after her to get the lyrics changed about something. Yeah. That's that's the one I have pulled up. Beyonce faces backlash over ableist slur in lyrics to new Renaissance track, Heated. And it's censored. It's SP asterisk 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 IN apostrophe on that ass. SP asterisk asterisk on that ass read the lyrics. What is that? What is it? I guess it's as spasm because it says the term in question derived from the word spastic is considered more offensive in the UK than in the US where it is often used as a synonym for freaking out. So spaz. Yep. What's, What's so bad about the word spaz? Because like it says, more in the UK than here, but this this is the second time this year it's come up. I can't remember who the other one was. But the other the other big thing that I did see was she had a challenge that she plagiarized the lyrics on one of the songs on the album. And that's pretty bad. Like, they're, they're definitely first album since like 2016 or something like I that. don't know. I don't really care. I'm not a Beyonce fan. So I couldn't tell you when the last album came out. I don't know if it says in this article that I have pulled up. Oh, it says in June Lizzo was called out for the use of the same ableist slur in one of her new tracks and Lizzo apologized and immediately changed the lyrics. Well, that's Lizzo. We're not, we're talking about. I mean, she. I know Lizzo is a decent person. She is. I'm not I mean, a fan, but she's saying. a decent person. I'm not a fan either, but she is a decent person, and she does pump out some really cool hits. And I like that she's got. A, I like her. I like her feeling of the upbeatness of the songs. I'm not a fan of her, but I do. I do get why she does. So I do see why she has a fan base. But well, um, what I liked the most about her. Is her unapologetic being full figure? Yeah, she's out there being herself. So, I mean, I don't agree with the way she dresses, but she's unapologetic as a full figured lady and owning it. 
So oh, yeah. I, I give her respect for that. Um, I found my entertainment piece, by the way. I've got okay. two of them. Um, there's been in, there's been photos leaked of Courtney Cox on the set of Scream 6 being filmed. I saw that. It was on Yahoo News. And um, this is the first Scream that's being filmed outside the United States. It's being filmed in Toronto, Canada. Cheaper. Yep. Kit costs. So third and was it because and, they had to pay Nev Campbell, so they had to move the, the production out of the US? Is that what happened? Well Nev Campbell's not in this one reported. Yes, she is. They reached a deal, she's in it. Not according to the post that I saw. The, she was she had said she was not gonna be in it, and then they announced that they reached a deal. I'm trying to pull it up and see if it comes up under her name here. No. Everything I saw said no. I saw a thing where they ended up coming to terms and getting her in it. Well, if you can find it, let me know. But because even on IMDb, it does not list June 6th. Nev Campbell won't be back for Scream. But I swear there was something that came out about a month ago that said she was coming back. Because on IMDb, they list Scream 6 and she's not even in it. July 16th, Scream 6, Nev Campbell provides contract update. Story did originally include Sydney. Okay, it was a apparently it was a rumor that got reported on one of the sites that I was on. And I never did see. It says Nev Campbell shuts down Scream Six return rumors. Franchise mainstay Nev Campbell addresses recent rumors that she will be returning to Sydney Prescott for the sixth and seventh Scream films. This is on CBR.com. As reported by Screen Rant, Campbell appeared on a panel for Mad Monster Party Arizona, where was asked about recent rumors that she had signed on to return for Scream Six and whether there was any truth to them. There is not. I'm afraid to say. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. Well, this is before what I saw where it said she was coming back. I don't know. But I'm not seeing it now. But I I did see something. June 30th rumor she is now returning. June 6th. It could be a a surprise thing and she's doing and no one knows about it. Because that's happened before, too. But it I mean, the the reason that I saw for her not returning kind of makes her look bad because she wasn't getting paid enough. I mean, I understand getting paid what you're worth, but by the same token, how how much do you need? Can you not work out a deal to where you recoup the the profits in what the box office and merchandising and all that earns and get a percentage yeah. of that to balance it out? Because that's how a lot of them do. They'll take a lower pay. Did you see it was leaked out where um, uh, Watch a Collins returning as Batman in um, Ben F? No, Ben F. Yeah, Ben F. No. Yeah, we're going to get to the the Warner Brothers situation here in a little bit because there's a lot to unfold with that. So there's that. And also, did you see about Dolly Parton? 
what about with Tolly Parton? Which, by the way, I love following Stella on Twitter. Stella is so anti-GOP right now and says what everybody wants Dolly to say, but Dolly won't say because she's diplomatic. Okay, Dolly Parton has won the Carnegie Hall um, honors for her um, donation of um, the vaccine from last year. So she has won an award from Carnegie Hall. But, but Trump didn't? Uh, how is that possible? It says Carnegie Medal of Philanthropy. She won. Didn't, didn't Trump claim that he donated all kinds of money and, and pushed for it to be done and the vaccine was his doing, and, but yet he doesn't push getting the vaccine that he pushed to get made? So, well, anyway, she won. They gave her an award from Carnegie something philanthropy award, her and among other people for, for their endeavors and the um, vaccines. Yeah. Dolly is a true good heart person and completely deserves any accolades that she gets. I don't care what anybody says about her. Like her music, don't like her music. You cannot deny that she has probably the greatest heart in all of show business. Yeah, she's she, um, she, she does a lot of good. So, well, but moving on to another blonde, this is in Variety.com. Reese Witherspoon quote still hopes that Legally Blonde three comes together. Top Gun Maverick gave us inspiration, and I I just don't know about a third Legally Blonde. I like the first two a lot. I don't know if a third one could pull together the charm especially after all these years that have passed. So I would watch it. I don't know that I would enjoy it. That's the main difference. I don't know. Look, uh, did you, have you ever seen Top Gun yet? I do not want to see Top Gun. I'm not going to race to see it. It, it is not on my... You, it was either a simple yes or no question. I, but yes, I've told I you this. To have a, I didn't need to have a dissertation about it. It's the same thing I've told you all along. I'm not in any hurry to see it. Well, anyways, it is a fantastic movie. It is a great follow-up from the very first movie. So time can't pass by 30 years, and it'll still be... I mean, it'll still be good, so... Yeah. I didn't really care that much for the original. So, soundtrack was great. Movie, not so much. But, since we're talking blasts from the past, did you see what AMC Networks is working to reboot? AMC, as in American Movie Classic? The, the network AMC. Max Hedrum series. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Starring Matt Frewer, the original Max Hedrum, will be returning as Max Hedrum. He's still alive? Yes, he's still alive. He's Matt, older Matt than Matt Frewer has done a lot of stuff. He's been in some Stephen King adaptations. He was on the TV series Eureka. I mean, he has really done a lot of stuff outside of Max Hedrum. And you don't know because... Max Hedrum is such a different entity. But well, he's got to be he, older than dirt. Uh, probably 70-something. 
let's let's find out real quick. Matt Frewer. American Canadian actor. He's not 70. Born January 4th, 1958, making him 64 years old. Plenty young enough. I know he did some Sherlock Holmes. Let's see what else he's got here. Uh, National Lampoon Senior Trip. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The Lawnmower Man 2. Uh, there's a TV show, Eureka, which was fantastic. If you never watched the show, Eureka, I highly recommend it. It was really good. Like one of the absolute best, which the bar is not set high for this, but it is one of the absolute best shows Sci-Fi Channel has ever done. The The Generation X TV movie, he was in that. Uh, Watchmen, Stephen King's Desperation, Quicksilver Highway, The Stand, Okay, we get it. He's been in a lot of stuff. Taken, still Steven Spielberg's Taken miniseries that was on Sci-Fi, which was also phenomenal. I mean, he's he's done some really good stuff along the way. And going back to our review the other week for The Gray Man, did you see what was greenlit? No. The Gray Man Universe. There will be a sequel film to The Gray Man, and there will be spinoff films for The Gray Man. <clears throat> That's interesting. So it was such a huge success that Netflix is pushing forward with it. <clears throat> and now we're at the Warner Brothers stuff. First off, the good thing. DC celebrates the 30th anniversary of the death of Superman with all new stories by the original creative teams. This is officially on DC.com. Superman number 75 and the death of Superman receives special and collected editions on sale November 1st and December 6th. Uh, it will be... It says the creative teams behind the death of Superman reunited for four all new stories in the 80-page the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Special Number 1, available at local comic shops on November 8th. So, I don't know if you remember it, but I very well remember the big hype around the Death of Superman. It was huge. Like, everybody was reporting on it. And it was one of the biggest events ever in comics history. I remember, because I, I got the comic book. But I went out and I, bought it. I, I definitely want to see or want to read this Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Edition. So I will most certainly be checking it out. I remember when that came out, the that comic book mall, that comic book store that was in the Valley Hills Mall that one time. I went yep. in there and bought it. I used to buy my comics in there all the time. So when they had it for sale, I remember going over there and I bought it and bought it, put it in plastic and I put it away. So I've still got it. Never looked at it. I just bought it to collect it. And I thought maybe it might be worth something someday. And that brings us to the bad portions this week. First up, they announced 
The Flash is officially canceled. After nine seasons, it will premiere in 2023, the ninth season, 13 episodes on the CW. Then came the announcement that the HBO Max original films from Warner Brothers, Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Hunt, which were almost finished, almost done, not being released in any way, shape, or form. Well, like, I saw in the final stages of post-production. Well, the article that I read that said that the ninety million dollar budget for the Batgirl or Bat whatever it was was finished. Almost, it was in post-production. Final, final stages of post-production. And there's been reports that they can regroup the money from tax write-offs. But sorry, first off, no studio should be able to get a tax write-off to cover. $130 million because they shelve a project. Why did they, did they ever say why they did that about the Batgirl or Batwoman movie? I really, I haven't read a whole lot into it. I'm not happy about this. I wanted to see the Batgirl movie. I like Batgirl. I'm not as big a fan of Batman as I am a Batgirl, which I know is blasphemy to many, but I, I like the Batgirl character. I like Batwoman. But Batman, I think it's more that Batman's been overdone way too many times. And so, yeah, I just. So they're just going to eat that that money? They're just going to eat it? Well, like I said, there's rumors that they were going to get it recouped in tax write-offs. That if they release it, they can't get the tax write-offs. But if they don't release it, they can get a tax write-off. And that should not be allowed. Like, why should the taxpayers have to pay the studios to film something and not release it? Makes no yeah, sense. Not, that doesn't make sense at all. That's like me saying, well, I'm not making any money off of the house that I'm living in, so therefore I should be able to write it off as a tax loss and get all my money back. I mean, it's basically the same thing. I can't yeah. do that. I should be able to do that. And I don't think I should be able to do that but I don't think they should be able to either. So it's just, it's literally like discovery wants to run Warner brothers into the ground there. Uh, let me see. Do I have it? No, I need to see there. There was a report today that six HBO max movies were released, removed from the service. And I know one of them was The Witches, which we did discuss the other week or the other month. Let's see. HBO weirdly took some move took some movies down without saying why. And were like original films. The six films in question are The Lana Condor and Cole Sprouse starring Moonshot, Robert Zemeckis' remake of The Witches starring Anne Hathaway and Octavia Spencer. Seth Rogen's An American Pickle, Super Intelligence with Melissa McCarthy, Doug Lyman's COVID flick Locked Down with Anne Hathaway. And lastly, director Angel Manuel Soto's Charm City Canes. Meanwhile, LeBron James's reboot of House Party was scheduled for a July 28th release and now is absent from the calendar entirely. 
The films, except for LeBron's, are available for purchase or rent on VOD platforms. So it's like, and then there was a rumor that they're trying to move away from scripted programming. Do they want to turn HBO into Discovery? Because we don't want that. Yeah. If I wanted Discovery, I would have gotten Discovery Plus. I got HBO Max because I want HBO. I want Warner Brothers. I don't want reality. I don't want documentary. I don't want science programs. I don't want Shark Week. I don't want any of that. I want my scripted stuff that they've been doing so well with. And I want my Batgirl. Like, yeah, I, gonna be in it. I saw where that I saw. I think it, it came out today that Batgirl was discontinued. It was and, the day of the day before that it came out, and it's, and then and then today I saw on Bing where they was talking about the the Flash was canceled. I thought, well, Chris would be pissed about that. Well, I mean, it was it was pretty much you knew it was going to happen. I mean, after they unceremoniously dumped Legends of Tomorrow and Batwoman, and they'd already canceled Supergirl and Black Lightning, and Naomi got the axe, which, granted, Naomi deserved the axe. That show did no justice to that character whatsoever. Well, what else is left? It's Warner Brothers that they haven't canceled. Well, Discovery is trying to cut costs, but I'm like, how is... I mean, they're just killing DC then. They're killing DC then. Why are they doing that? Something else is DC no longer mentions comics on their website. There's something I saw. Let me see. Because it was a report that I saw earlier today. Here it is. Comics piece. DC drops comics from social handles and website URL. Adds new video content. So let me get this straight. Um, Discovery owns DC now. Discovery and Warner Brothers merged. And Warner Brothers has owned DC for decades. Well, why the, I just wonder why they're killing the brand. I, I honestly, it's like they're trying to send Warner Brothers bankrupt so they can sell it off to Disney, and then we have no entertainment competition. And I mean, anybody who thinks um, Disney buying Warner Brothers, getting the DC catalog would be a good thing, all I can say is look back in history when Vince McMahon bought world championship wrestling his only competition he had nobody to compete against him nobody to make his show better and the product has suffered ever since it has never returned to what it used to be because there's no competition and that is exactly what would happen if you put marvel and dc in the same company i could see Disney buying DC and then it's like pumping tons of money into it. I could see that happening. But if Disney buys DC, they have nobody to be better than. 
Marvel will suffer. Disney or DC will suffer. There's no competition. Because there are other comics companies, but neither one of them has any kind of clout. Like, now, do you honestly think that Disney's going to let anything that they purchase fail? No. Uh, they are a they are a money they are a money making machine at Disney. They ain't going to let nothing fail. Okay, but Marvel bought Malibu, and granted, it was before Disney, but Marvel pretty much eliminated the Malibu characters altogether. There were some good characters in Malibu. And trying to think, Netflix announced a new comic film today, and I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it'll come up in their Netflix comic. And it's just showing stand-ups. Let me go into this one website. if I can find it because it was a new deal worked out Netflix adapting Dark Horse comic Mind MGMT with Stranger Things writer was one of them that was on comicbook.com there was another one that I saw but I can't remember who it was here it is Idris Elba to star in Bang movie adaptation from Bullet Train director David Leach. And that was also a comic-based project. Dark Horse Entertainment is who that one's from. And I think it's a, a deal... Yeah, because Mind MGMT is also from Dark Horse, so it's a new deal. You know, they they did so well with the Miller World that they bought when they yeah. lonely season of Jupiter's Legacy, but now they've got a deal with Dark Horse as well, and two projects set up. So we'll see how it goes. Did you have any other entertainment news? Because all that I have left is the passings this week. That's all I had. Okay, well, first, first couple, because we've got something we've got to spend some time on. I'm going to go real quick through a couple of these, not out of disrespect, just time-wise. First up, cbsnews.com. Vin Scully, legendary Dodgers broadcaster, dies at age 94. That was updated on August 3rd. Um, from bbc.com, Bernard Cribbins, Doctor Who and Womble star, dies aged 93. He was part of the original Doctor Who series and returned for the revival TV series as well. Cartoonbrew.com and this one's pretty big for a lot of people. Paul Cooker Jr. Designer of Timeless Rankin Bass Holiday Special Characters dies at 93. Says Paul Cooker Jr. Character and production designer on the Timeless Rankin Bass Holiday Specials and Longtime Mad Magazine artist died at his home in New Mexico on July 23rd, 2022, after a brief illness. And, you know, the, the Rankin Bass animation includes like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, The Year Without Santa Claus, and others. So he was 
one of the animators for that. From Collider.com, Ron Zimmerman, beloved Marvel Comics writer, dies at 64. He also worked in TV and movies as well. Did you watch the TV series A Different World? Uh, I did, but I didn't. I, I watched it if it was on, but I didn't make a point to watch it, if that makes sense. Oh, this is from Variety. Mary Alice passed away, and she was Letitia Letty Bostick on NBC's A Different World and Effie Williams in the 1976 musical drama Sparkle. She passed Wednesday in New York City, according to the NYPD. Her birth year had been reported both as 1936 and 1941 in various sources. She also worked for The Matrix Revolutions, voiced the video game. She was in a different world for two seasons. She was on All My Children. Um, films she appeared in, Malcolm X, The Ink Will, Down in the Delta, Beach Street, To Sleep with Anger, Awakenings, The Bonfire of the Vanities, Sunshine State, and many others. So another major talent loss there. And this is where it really starts to hit hard for me. Deadline and there were like three major deaths. There was the, the sports Wallace. I can't remember what his name was. I didn't pull up the article. He got a lot of news for passing Sunday. This one deadline reported Pat Carroll dies veteran actress of stage TV film and voice of Ursula and the little mermaid was 95. The reason she's so special to me is she played Shirley Feeney's mother on Laverne and Shirley. Uh-huh. So, you know, that one hit me pretty good. And next, I don't know about you, I was not a Star Trek fan. However, I was a Michelle Nichols fan. On May, it was announced that she has passed away as well. She was 89 passed away on Saturday. It was announced on Sunday. Um, some of the George Takei, I shall have more to say about the trailblazing incomparable Michelle Nichols, who shared the bridge with us as Lieutenant Uhura of the USS Enterprise and who passed today at age 89. For today, my heart is heavy, my eyes shining like the stars you now rest among, my dearest friend. And one of the really amazing stories that I saw about Michelle Nichols is there's a video on YouTube with her talking about it. And it's basically, she was on Star Trek for the first season, was offered a part in a musical on Broadway, which was her first love. She loved the stage for the musicals. And she wanted to go, she turned in a resignation letter to Gene Roddenberry so she could go do the part on Broadway and she wouldn't be able to do the series because of it. And she was somewhere where they told her there was a fan that wanted to meet her. And she was like, well, I, I don't know about my fan, but I've got Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. walking towards me. I'm not going to see my fan because I'm going to see him. He was the fan. He talked her into staying in the role of Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, basically saying that Lieutenant Uhura is not a character that has to be a woman. It's not a character that has to be black. And she brings so much visibility to the community in a time where they really desperately needed visibility. And she was just beautiful and grace. And 
Like she just transcended so much without doing much anything on the show, even. So, you know, it was, yeah, 89 is a good life, but still it, it hurts to lose such a true icon like that. Uh, one of my friends is a huge Star Trek um, fan. And she, he told me that he, that she was the first between her and Shatner was the first on screen um, interracial kiss in television history. And, and just think of the, the ramifications that that caused. Like you didn't see a black man and a white woman or a black woman and a white man in any kind of romantic entanglement. All of a sudden, on your TV screen, there in fifties, there it was. They did it, and I mean, it was nothing played up about it. It wasn't like, oh my god, look at this moment we're having. No, it was just done natural, and that's the way it should be done. It's like transgender people today need to be portrayed. Just there they are. It's no big deal, and the more that happens, the more accepting people become, and that's part of why. This character was so important to the zeitgeist of the culture. And I mean, William Shatner also has a thing on here. It says, I am so sorry to hear about the passing of Michelle. She was a beautiful woman and played an admirable character that did so much for redefining social issues, both here in the U.S. and throughout the world. I will certainly miss her. Sending my love and condolences to her family. Stacey Abrams. I mean, I mean, there were so many outpourings of love for Michelle Nichols. NASA tweeted out about her. I mean, you can go and CNN.com has an article full of these posts that I'm reading from. And there were more from this than like Wilson Cruz. I saw, you know, from party of five, he was now on star, one of the star Trek shows, I think it's discovery. And he posted on it and it's just, it's, it's nice to see so many people still loved her and knew who she was and cared. And that's the lasting legacy she left. Oh, yeah. And finally, for me, this one was the really hard one this week. And unfortunately, it's the Tanya Roberts situation from last year. One day we got a report. Tony Dow has passed away. Later on that evening, we got the report. Tony Dow is still alive. It was a mistake from his wife who had mistakenly announced him as passing. And the next day, the family did confirm that he had, in fact, passed away. And MeTV has a couple of articles. I'm not going to read through the article. I'm going to read through the little facts they have numbered. But it's 16 G whiz facts about Leave it to Beaver. It's one, before he was the beaver, Jerry Mathers was Little Ricky on I Love Lucy. Two, Mathers wore his Cub Scouts uniform to an audition. Three, the show was launched the same day as Sputnik. Four, it was the first television program to show a toilet. Five, it was originally called It's a Small World. A, six, a growth spurt led to a new Wally. There was a different character, a different actor portraying Wally in the pilot. So if you get to DVDs, you can see that. Seven, it was canceled after its first season on CBS. ABC came in, renewed it for five more seasons. Number eight, In the Soup was the most expensive episode of the series. The episode cost $50,000, which was a little over $400,000 today. 
number nine, it never broke into the top 30. And that's pretty significant right there. You're talking one of the most beloved television shows of all time. Never got into the top 30 TV shows airing. That is wild. Exactly. I mean, it, it says there was like legitimate competition, but who would have thought that this show that ran six seasons never hit the top 30? Number 10, Mother's popular. I don't I don't understand that. It's it stays popular. It might have been more popular after leaving the air and in reruns. That number 10, Mathers was the first child actor to get a cut of the merchandise revenue. Number 11, Beverly Cleary wrote Leave It to Beaver novels. 12, the family was forced to move. And what this was, was they moved from Republic Studios lot to Universal Studios. And when they did that, they lost the facade of the house. So the characters actually moved on the show to a new location. And, you know, a lot of places like Cosby Show, first season, the whole house inside is different. Same exterior, the inside changed altogether. And many shows did that. And they, instead of just changing things without explanation, they actually moved on the show. Number 13, some jokes were removed from the scripts. The, the creative forces behind the show didn't want big laughs. They wanted chuckles. So any jokes that got big laughs, they cut from the show. That's weird. Yes, but I mean, it worked for the show apparently because, you know, we're still talking about it what, almost 70 years later. Number 14, there were practical reasons Barbara Billingsley wore pearls and high heels. And this one I will read. It says, June's formal attire wasn't just about style. She wore pearls to conceal, quote, a big hollow in her neck as she confessed in an interview. She switched from flats to high heels to appear taller as the boys grew. I was lucky they didn't put me on an apple box, she joked. Number 15, it served up one of the TV's first international series finales. And 16, there were several reunions, including Steal the Beaver on Disney that moved to TBS and became the new Leave it to Beaver. And I did watch that series. I enjoyed it a lot. And then the other article from MeTV I have pulled up is, gee, Wally, here are nine things you never knew about Tim Dow. Number one, he was a diving champ at age seven. Number two, his mom was a bathing beauty. Number three, he got the role of Wally because his dad's buddy wanted to be Ward. Number four, he was a trampoline instructor in the office. Number five, he didn't have a car when filming Wally Buys a Car. Number six, his earnings from Leave it to Beaver went towards real estate. Number seven, he reunited with Jerry Mathers for a play about planes. Number eight, he became a TV director and directed other former child stars. And he also directed episodes of Swamp Thing in the 90s. So, cool. DC connection there. Number nine, he became a sculptor late in life. And I actually got to see him in Knoxville, Tennessee at the Comic-Con. And he genuinely seemed to be there for the fans. And I got to see both do the meet and greet with him. And I got to see him on his panel where you could ask questions. And 
I enjoyed watching his panel. He talked about directing. He talked about talking with Jerry Mathers about doing convention appearances, which Jerry Mathers apparently doesn't do. And when I got the meet and greet, he only charged $15 for a photo and autograph. Like, you're talking Lonnie Anderson was charging 40 to $90. Lou Ferrigno was charging whatever the size of your thing you were getting signed, and like upwards of $100, depending on how big it was. And little Wally Cleaver charging $15 to get his autograph and picture taken. So it spoke volumes for him, I thought. Yeah. And they they did a, a marathon of Leave It to Beaver this past Sunday on Me TV, and I don't know if you watched any of it, but the one thing that I saw that like I watched several of the episodes in a row. Every single episode that I watched, Wally was going to a dance, and every single episode was different. That kid must have gone to more dances than anybody in history. But I'm talking four or five episodes that I saw, and every one of them was him going to a dance. So, but, I mean, it's it's a show, it's timeless, it holds up. I loved it. I love all the actors on it. And it's it's a sad loss for any of them that we lose. And Tony Dow, like so many others, gone too soon at 77. Michelle Nichols, of course, gone too soon at 89. Just, just never a good time to lose people you love. And with that, we are done on the first half. We will take a quick break, and we will be back with our reviews of Footloose and the Billy Porter film. The, the name is escaping me right offhand. So it was the, the prime original film from Billy Porter directorial debut. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Viewing at number 10 with 1.75 million, Vengeance. At number 9 for the second week, Jurassic World Dominion. 2.1 million in its eighth weekend, almost, well, over 369.5 million. Holding at number eight, The Black Phone, two and a half million after six weeks, 83 million total. Down from six to seven is Elvis, almost five and three quarters million after six weeks, almost 129 million. Down from four to six, where the crawdads seen, seven and a half million in its third weekend for over 53 and a half million total. Holding at five, Top Gun Maverick, just under eight and a half million. After 10 weeks, 650 million. Down from three to four, The Minions, Rise of Gru. Almost 11 million in its fifth week, right at $320.5 million. Down from two to three, Thor, Love and Thunder. 13 million in its fourth week, $301,623,800 total. Down from one to two, Nope. 18.5 million in its second week for. 80.6 million total and debuting at number one with 23 million DC's League of Super Pets, which is a film that I really want to see, but I'll probably wait until it hits HBO Max after the 45 day window. And with that, 
we will review the first one from Billy Porter, Anything's Possible. IGN has it 8 out of 10. IMDb gives it 4.9 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes has it listed 86% on the tomato meter, 62% on the audience score. Basically, this film was the story of a transgender girl who is in high school and meets a boy that she finds attractive in art class. And they start getting more and more to know each other. And the relationship evolves from there. And he ends up asking her out when her best friend thinks that the best friend is going to be asked out. So for a first time directorial feature from Billy Porter, it's all right. Overall, I wasn't super thrilled with it. What did you think, Paul? You're you're not coming through. Okay. Um I was having technical difficulties. My uh my ear pods was not connecting, so I had to go get my hardwired set to connect. So I had to go get those to plug them in so I could talk. Anyways, um, I had a hard time with the movie knowing that the trans girl was a real girl. Was she a real girl? Yes, I she was. I thought she was really transgender. Well, this was, well, I was looking at her name and it was a girl's name. Well, that's what it would be. I know, but the actress's name, she was a girl. And plus, she had no Adam's apple. Ava Rain, I believe, was the one. I mean, I kept looking for Adam's apple and I thought, well, no, this is not, you know. This is not a real trans girl. I do believe she is trans. This is from IMDb. Ava Rain is a Brooklyn-based actress, writer, and artist from St. Louis, Missouri. She makes her feature film debut as the star of Billy Porter's directorial debut, Anything's Possible, from Amazon Studios and MGM's Orion Pictures. She is also known for her work as a correspondent on the Vice show Transnational, for which she won a Peabody Award and a Glad Media Award. She might be, but she might have had her sh- Adam's apple shaved down. It's possible. So, yeah, it's quite possible. So, anyways. Or she could be one of the guys, or born a male, that did not have a pronounced Adam's apple, because that happens too. Yeah. So, so. anyway, it was, um, oh no. It was okay. I, it, there was a lot of high school drama involved. You know, you like me, no, you like me, no, I like you, no, you like me. And, you know, it was, it, it was just a lot of going back and forth. There's just drama involved, a lot of texting, which, you know, that's what's going on in today's movies. So, uh, and then it's like, I love you and I love to hate you and I hate to love you. It, it was just a lot of this stuff going on. And at the very end of the movie, the way it ended, after all that. Yeah. The, like, the ending no. was not good. I mean, it's, no. it's, it's a logical ending, but it's not 
a happy ending or thrilling yeah. ending. It was just like I did not see that that was coming. So, I, just, I guess I was expecting the Disney ending, you know? But, anyways, it was okay for me. Will I watch it again? No. I mean, there, but, there, the, the first scene in the, the art class I thought was pretty good. The thing that impressed me the most about this whole thing has nothing to do with the film. It was the logo at the beginning. Because I can't tell you the last time I saw a new film with Orion Pictures at the beginning. True. Like, that was a mainstay in the 80s. Like, all the films you saw had Orion Pictures. Now yeah. you don't ever see a picture, and this was the first one I've seen. I don't know how long. True. So. Yeah. The characters weren't unlikable. They just didn't really pull me in. I just, I mean, it really. I mean, I get the stigma of, you know, the guy getting. I want to, I'm going to go ahead and just give away a little bit of it. Her boyfriend getting called gay because him seeing a trans girl and then him getting the stigma of that and, you know, you know, their parents being supportive. And this is, you know, it, it's just the constant hail for being what's going on inside the high school. So, a lot of backlash um, here and there that she had to deal with, but I don't know. Just it was it was okay, Chris. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, I I really don't have a lot to say. the The fights that they had just they didn't really make you believe anything. The mother looked really familiar, but like. She reminded me of another actress, and I still have no clue who it is. I never was able to figure it out. Because I'd watch her, and I'd be like, you know what? She looks like somebody that I've seen. I could see her in my head, but then I couldn't get any further with it. Well, at one point, I almost turned it off and refused to watch any more of it. Because when they were actually arguing that one time heatedly, that's something I can't stand, is to see someone argue really heatedly like that. And I just I almost turned it off because I, I just don't like to see or hear people argue. I think it's from the stigma of me being younger um, and growing up, you know, with people fussing all around me at one point and me shutting down as a child, not wanting to deal with it. So when, I, when someone starts arguing very heatedly on the set or like on a movie, it's hard for me to watch and I just want to turn it off. So I almost turned off the movie and refused to watch any more of it. So. Well, the, the best thing I found in this film was the relationship between the brothers, Cal and, and Arwen. I thought yeah. their relationship was worth watching. Like if they'd have built the story around those two and then everything else was filler, it yeah. might've been a much better film. But as it was, I just, I really wasn't overly impressed Nothing makes me want to say, hey, you need to watch this movie. No. It's not terrible. It's just not great. Yeah. Nothing makes me want to tell people that you need to watch this movie. So so, so if you have Prime and you want to see what we're talking about, feel free. It's called Anything's Possible. But it looks like Paul and I are 
kind of on the fence. Watch it, don't watch it. It's it's nothing groundbreaking or new. Is probably the the most diplomatic way of saying it. And with that, we go to Footloose. Now, did you watch the link I sent you of the clip from the Umbrella Academy? Yes. Was that not just so much fun? It was cool. Like, I have watched that clip so many times. I even watched it again earlier tonight before we recorded. I just, I love that scene. And I watched, Watch Mojo on YouTube had a thing, top 10 moments from season seven, or season three, rather. And the Footloose dance was only number seven. I was like, how is that not number one? It was the best scene in the entire series. But what were they saying the number one set was on it? And it's a spoiler for the series. So Oh, okay. And it's it's deserved because of what it was. But and I, I can tell you off off podcast that it's just I think the footloose scene trump trumped that and should have been number one. Because I just love that scene. Do you remember the Footloose scene from Will and Grace? No. There was a, at one time, uh, Jack McFarland is stalking Kevin Bacon outside his apartment house in New York. So he's staring at him through the window. And Will's like, somehow Will ends up managing going inside of Kevin Bacon's apartment. So it's Will and Kevin Bacon. And you know they're standing there talking, and it's like, and then and then Will goes, "What's the number one thing that people talk to you about?" He goes, "Oh man, you know, Kevin Bacon's playing Kevin Bacon himself." And he goes, "You know, everybody that wants to do the Footloose dance with me." He goes, and then Will starts doing his like, you know, he starts slinging his arms like this, and he's like, "No," and then Kevin Bacon goes, "No, man, no, it's nothing like that. You got to put more arms into it." And then uh, he said, and all of a sudden he's like the clapper. Kevin Bacon goes clack clack and they and it starts playing the music for Footloose and then it's you know they start doing the throwing the legs up in the air the arms going up in the air and all that and Jack comes around the corner behind them and this whole time Jack was wanting to dance Footloose with Kevin Bacon and he goes in between and going stop it stop it stop it you're not dancing with Footloose with Kevin Bacon just stop it stop it. <laughs> Oh, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. But that's the thing. Footloose has permeated society and more for the soundtrack than anything else, I do believe. But real quick, Metacritic has it 42%. IMDB has it 6.6 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter gives it 52%. Audience score gives it 71%. Paul, you made us watch it. You go ahead and tell us what it was about. Um, it's a phenomenal film. It, it's about this Volkswagen Beetle. I can't get over the Volkswagen Beetle that Kevin Bacon drives in this. I've watched this movie dozens of times. It is about the, these the people who moves to this small town, and um, it's his family. Uh, what's his dad? Um, the actor. I don't remember. I- his dad he didn't have a dad in it he had a mom who was in screen i was thinking of um what you call him anyways i was thinking of what you call him's father anyway i was thinking of the preacher's name anyways oh, that's john lithgow 
Yeah, and John Lithgow. Yeah, his wife Diane Weist. Yes, so I was just thinking of John Lithgow. Anyway, there's a the in this town. It's a, apparently illegal to dance, and it's all about this high school um, that's wanting to get together and have a dance for their graduation. And this whole town is against it because you're not supposed to be dancing. And it's it's actually epic. It is so cool with the way it builds up to it. And he ends up befriending these this guy who drives a tractor. And he ends up teaching him how to dance in the movie. And, and then it's just all climaxes into the barn into the barn scene when everybody starts cutting foot loose, uh, kick off your Sunday shoes. I mean, it is actually a super cool film. I love it. 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 Well, one thing that really struck my fancy in the, the trivia there. Yeah. Madonna and Haviland Morris auditioned for the role of Ariel Moore. So I looked up Haviland Morris because I don't know her by name. She was in 16 Candles, Home Alone 3, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and Who's That Girl? Ah. So not only did she compete against Madonna for a role that neither one of them got, she acted with Madonna in a film. And I remember who she was. She was the, the fiancé of Griffin Dunn in Who's That Girl? Wow, there was a Madonna connection there. There's always a Madonna connection. I got to tell you about this article that I read today, Chris, and it's going to make you upset. It says, why can't stars handle being aged gracefully? And what did Madonna do to her body and face? And it was a whole article about the way she changed, the way she looks. Back to Michael Jackson. Hey, he didn't change his body. He just changed his face. Not his. She she has this tiny Breaching little. His skin is changing his body. She has his this tiny little waist with this giant ass with these legs. I mean, come on now. She had to have butt implants. No one's ass looks like that. Well, she does work out a lot. I'm not. I don't know. I've not seen her butt, so I don't know what you're talking about there, but. Anyways, back to Kevin Bacon. I know that they had to convince whoever to, I'm trying to find the, well, Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe were both slated to play the lead. Casting directors were impressed with Cruise because of the famous underwear dance sequence in Risky Business, but he was unavailable for the part because he was filming all the right moves. Lowe auditioned three times and had dancing ability and the, quote, natural team look that director Herbert Ross wanted, but he pulled his knee and the injury prevented him from taking the part. After watching Diner, Ross had to convince the producers to go with Kevin Bacon. And one of the things that he had to convince them of with Kevin Bacon was somebody thought he wasn't sexy enough for the role. And that's what I'm trying to find down here. Daryl Hannah turned down the offer to play Ariel Moore in order to play Madison in Splash. I'd say she made the right choice. I don't well, know Kevin Bacon, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if I'd consider him a sex symbol, but I think he did damn good, damn goodness movie. I think he, I couldn't imagine anyone else being playing that part other than him. 
and then they tried remake and then tried remaking the movie called and called it uh what was it dirty dancing havana nights and it bombed oh they tried remaking this one it didn't do all that great yeah it, this is the the thing I was talking about. Though, it says Kevin Bacon was offered the leading role for the Stephen King movie Christine at the same time that he was asked to do a screen test for Footloose. The producers had to convince Bacon that turning down a shore role in Christine for a part he might not even get in Footloose was their wiser choice. The producers told him that if he got this part for Footloose, the role would make him a star. Thirty seconds into the screen test, Bacon was offered the part. And then he had to fight to keep it because producer Sherry Lansing said he wasn't sexy enough to headline a youth-oriented movie like this. It took Herbert Ross weeks of pleading with her that he was sexy, and it took various new screen tests to change her mind. But it did work, and the rest is history. So that's what I was talking about. Yeah, um, I follow him on TikTok, and he actually is danced to that several times on TikTok doing the teaching how to do that dance from from Footloose. That's just pretty cool watching him do it. Uh, it says his dancing feet in the opening credit sequence contained many of the cast and crew. Over 150 different pairs of feet were shot. The dancer with the gold shoes was Kenny Loggins. Ah, oh, Kenny Loggins was in the dancing part. I didn't know that. And that's the point of Kenny Loggins. That's, I mean, the song Footloose from Kenny Loggins is like his like number one song of all time that he performed. And it says Frances Lee McCain, who plays Ren's mother, is only 14 years older than Kevin Bacon. And of course, she would go on to become Deputy Dewey's mom in Scream. Really? Yeah. Did you not re- recognize her? No, I didn't. I mean, it's I put the two apart from that in those many years. I didn't. Yeah, go go back and watch it. You'll see it now. Hmm. Well, I'll probably not be able to unsee it now. But, and there's a ton of trivia on this. I'm not going to go through any more of it. But as far as talent in this film, Diane Weist, I mean, I love her. How can you not? She was in Parenthood with Steve Martin. Of course, she was in the greatest vampire film ever made, The Lost Boys. You don't even need to mention Kevin Bacon to know how good he is. I mean, there's yeah. a, a whole game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, Lori Singer, don't really know, unfortunately. Like, I don't... The name doesn't ring any bills. Chris Finn, Sarah Jessica Parker, John Lithgow one of the greatest villains of the series Dexter. If you never saw Dexter, you need to watch it. Especially the season he was in. Because he was amazing. He was the Trinity. And Francis Lee McCain was Ethel McCormick. Uh, there, there were some nonsense things in this. Like I, I was texting you some as I watched it. The preacher's daughter pulls out a boombox puts in a cassette tape and hits play at the drive-in restaurant. Yeah. The cook in the kitchen was dancing to the songs playing on that boom box because the music and dancing is outlawed in the town. What kind of acoustics did that restaurant have and how good was that boom box that she could be out in the parking lot playing that boom box cassette tape oh, and the come cook on. 
and hear it in the kitchen while cooking. It's a musical. It's supposed to be magical. It's supposed to be like magic. It's not a musical movie with a lot of music in it. So, anyways, but the the soundtrack is phenomenal. The story is eh, it's not that great. the The beginning scene with with um the twin car surfing. Yeah, it's like how is it that she couldn't see the truck coming? Like, how stupid that. is she? You you can't miss. Like everybody in the cars saw it. She's the only one who couldn't see a truck when she was looking straight ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's, there was and the the fight at the end. I didn't really understand that. Is there's there's just a lot of nonsense in this film. I thought it was. I did not think it was the. The winner that everybody else thinks it is. You don't think it's, yeah. You don't the, think it's iconic and the dance moves is iconic and all that. No, I, I was not overly thrilled with it. Is it's still one of the great soundtracks of all time? Was, okay, Chris, which one is better? Well, clearly we know which one's going to be the answer. This one or the YouTube fan-based Friday the 13th film? Well, at least this one has good soundtrack. <laughs> so that alone stomps the YouTube Friday the 13th. <laughs> but I, I did just scroll down on IMDb. Budget was 8.2 estimated million. Opening weekend, U.S. and Canada. $8,556,935 in February of 1984. Went on to gross $80,035,402 in the U.S. and Canada. I wonder how much that would be in today's money. And it didn't even add an extra 4000 worldwide, so I don't know what that... I wonder if that would be like $400 million in today's money. Eighty zero three five four oh two. Let me put the the dollar sign at the front of it. Nineteen eighty four money in twenty twenty two money. See if it pulls it up that way. One dollar in nineteen eighty four is worth two dollars and eighty five cents today. So, I don't have a calculator right off hand. What was that? Two dollars and what? Two dollars and eighty-five cents today was a dollar in nineteen eighty-four. Cumulative price change: one hundred eighty-five point nineteen percent. Should it gross eighty uh, what? It was over eighty million. Uh, I'll just eighty do, million thirty five thousand four hundred and two dollars. I'll just do eighty eighty one million. It was the sixth highest grossing film of the year. Number five was Police Academy. Number four was The Karate Kid. Number three was Gremlins. 
That would be number two. and one was Ghostbusters. That would be uh, right over twenty three million dollars in today's money. Did you do eight million? I did. Uh, no, eighty one. Hold on, two point eight four. Right? Yes. Two. Two dollars and eighty five cents. I think. Two dollars eighty five cents today was a dollar and eight and eighty four. Excuse me, right over two hundred and thirty million dollars in today's money. Not too shabby. Yeah. That would have been uh that would have been good today's money. Yeah. Like I said, it was the sixth highest grossing film. What did it say the number one film was? The Ghostbusters in 1984. I can see that being a good film. Yeah. Let's see what it had. It was 80 million... Police Academy was almost 81.2 million. The Karate Kid was 90.8. Gremlins, 148,168,459. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 179,870,271. And Ghostbusters, almost $221 million. All of those are iconic films for that year. Damn, yep. every one of them was good films. Well, the rest of the top 10 10 was Romance in the Stone, 9 Terms of Endearment, 8 Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock. Timely with Michelle Nichols. And number seven was Beverly Hills Cop. Splash came in at number 11. As we All, mentioned. I mean, every one of those in 1984 is great films. Who hasn't seen them? Wow, that's that's excellent. Well, there's there's several there that I haven't seen. You I haven't seen it? You, ha- you I have haven't seen Romancing the Stone? I have not seen Terms of Endearment. That's a good film. Never really cared to watch Karate Kid. I've seen bits and pieces of it. That's a good film. Didn't watch Purple Rain, which was 12, because I didn't care for most of the songs on that soundtrack, to be honest. Hated Purple Rain. Hated When Doves Cry. Hated Let's Go Crazy. Well, aren't you a little odd egg? (laughs) I am, but... I mean, the songs that he had that weren't as big a hit, for the most part, were the ones that I liked better. Loved Raspberry Gray. I loved You Got the Look. You know which one I like, and a lot of people forget about this song existing. But Alpha, Alphabet Street. Oh my God. Hated it. I love Alphabet Street. I hated Kiss. I think that's one of the worst I didn't songs. I Kiss. Did. I said Alphabet Street. I know. But I, I didn't like Alphabet Street, and I think Kiss is one of the worst songs that he ever did. Oh, I love Kiss. Of course, the Batman soundtrack was. It was Batman soundtrack. Well, that was a really good soundtrack he did for Batman. That was really good. And of course, he performed another song that she needs to on that. I I think I would die for you was in Purple Rain. That was the one song from it that I liked. Yeah, that's a good song too. Oh look, so. All of Me was the number twenty film of nineteen eighty four. That was a good movie if you've never seen it. Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. I remember that. Fantastic movie. 
Friday the 13th, the final chapter was number 22. Oh, wow. Cannonball Run 2 was 28. The Muppets Take Manhattan came in 31 for the year. Wow, kind of surprising. 16 candles way down at 37. You'd think that would have been higher. And to put it in perspective, it made 23,686,027 came in number 37. Rhinestone. The Dolly Parton Sylvester Stallone flop came in 41 with just over 2 million behind it, $21,435,321. Wow. So it goes to show that just because they didn't have the greatest box office run doesn't mean they would not have a great run altogether. Uh, let's see, something else down here. Firestarter came in 55th. But just over seventeen million. Seems like that would have been higher, you know, because that was um especially that they've redone it. Supergirl came in sixty first. Children of the corn, there's an iconic one. Sixty three with twelve and three quarter million. Well, with it being iconic, I don't see how it got so low then. Anyways. The big chill. Didn't That's even hit a half million at 65. The Big Chill's a damn good movie. Two of a Kind with the, uh, Olivia Newton-John reteaming with John Travolta came in in 70th with 11.8 million. It would it was opened in December, so its take was brought down. But it grossed a total of over 23.5 million in the, in the box office. So if, and that's where I'm going to stop because there's lots more films on here. I can keep on like Mickey and Maude with Andre the Giant and Big John Stud on there. Oh, I, I do believe I saw a Nightmare on Elm Street alternate endings scary ending. Came in at number 99. Opened on November 9th. 7,220,000 in 1984. Would go on to gross over 25.5 million. And that's the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. But it's the alternate endings scary ending version. I gotta so see that. Re- I didn't know that there's an alternate ending. I'll have to check that out. I didn't either. I just, that's the first I saw it. It that came in back time for 84. That makes me curious. I want to see what that is. Hmm. But anyways, that's where we will leave off. I don't know what we'll get through next week. I do know that The Sandman is a definite. That's my first watch. And Kevin Bacon has a new film coming to Peacock this weekend called They Them which is a conversion therapy horror film, the way I understand it, and I do want to see that. So if we don't get to Bay Them for Monday, we'll get it for the next show. Well, I do want to follow up with the Stranger Things thing, because I've been like streaming that like a mother. Oh my god, it's awesome. I told you. I'm on, I'm on uh, season two, episode eight, I think it is now. So, I love it. I'm at the point where Eleven just showed back up. So, um, where she came and like killed all the dog monsters or whatever those things are. The Gregorians. So, that's where well, I'm at. Real quick, because this is a short article. goes with the discussing Footloose. It's from abcnewsradioonline.com. Kevin Bacon reflects on Footloose role and body double. With the new remake of 1984's Footloose currently out in theaters, which tells you how long ago this was, 
Kevin Bacon recently dished about his experiences starring in the original version, which went on to earn more than 10 times its reported $8 million budget. People reports that while Bacon was proud of his role and of the film, he did admit he re- that he regretted not performing some of the more complicated dance moves on set. On the day of the movie's famous warehouse shoot, where some of the more complicated dance scenes were performed, Bacon admits, quote, I had a stunt double, a dance double, and two gymnastics doubles. When reflecting on his body double being used in place of him, he expressed his regret. Are you kidding? I was furious, Bacon said with a smile. It's like a starting pitcher getting taken out of the game. Upon the movie's original release, the studio told Bacon to never mention that they used a double. While I was in no position to do this, I told them, quote, you are out of your effing mind, Bacon said. And quite honestly, why wouldn't you use the body double in those scenes? I don't think he could have performed. That it. was very intricate and very hard dance, and especially the well, calisthenics for those moves. It was also very difficult gymnastics moves. Yeah, so, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But anyways, that's where we will end. I don't know if, like I said, what we'll get through next week because we do have the new ones. And like I said, I'm definitely doing the Sandman first. Is it Monday? Yep. Sandman premieres Friday on Netflix. So I won't get to start watching it until Sunday night because of my work schedule. With that, I know Paul is about faded out, so we will cut it there. Any last words, Paul? Take care. Be safe. Be well. And... With that, we are out of here. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.